have a special uh, word, really, that the Lord has put on my heart for us this morning, and I wanted to invite you to take your Bible with me and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Now, if you need a Bible, uh, we have some extras here, of course. We keep them. If you'd like a Bible to be able to follow along, you don't have one, simply slip up your hand, uh, and our guys would be happy to put one in your hand so you can follow along. We're going to do something just a little differently this morning. Uh, we're going to be reading congregationally uh, verses 15 through 18. But what I'd like you to do is read the even-numbered verses, and I will read the odd-numbered verses uh, as we use this passage as our congregational reading. And then we'll back up to verse 8 and work our way through the passage. But could I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word? I think we're going to be able to put the verses up for you. So again, I'll read verse 15, you read verse 16, I'll read verse 17, you close with verse 18. Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from good will. Verse 16. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Wonderful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. In all things, we give thanks for this opportunity to gather for the working of your spirit, for your great sacrifice for us. Lord, we're in awe of who you are and how you work. We pray that you would now open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive that which the Spirit is saying to the church. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What's interesting is that it really is hard to give a, a title to the book of Philippians, to give an overall subject, to narrow it down to one thing. Because the book itself is, is about a number of things, many things really. But as we covered three weeks ago, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> three weeks ago in our introduction, uh, the book was occasioned by Paul receiving a monetary gift from the church in Philippi. And it was an offering that was given to Paul to further his missionary work as he would uh, inevitably wanted to see the church, the striving church in Jerusalem, uh, assisted. Uh, Timothy uh, probably penned this letter at Paul's dictation, 
Timothy helped Paul establish the work there in Philippi. Timothy also helped uh, in the writing of several of Paul's epistles, um, 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. As a rule, Paul would never take money or receive money for preaching. Uh, He would rather just go along in his life as a tent maker and allow his trade to support him because then as well as fast forward thousands of years, there were always false teachers or manipulative teachers that would take uh, a teacher, preacher receiving money and misconstrue the reason for that. Paul didn't want that to happen with him. But he accepted this offering with the intention of passing it on to Jerusalem as it was brought to him by the hands of Epaphrodites. And so he's now responding to this uh, under house arrest in Rome. Now, you may recall, we covered this uh, also in our introduction, but briefly after Paul's third missionary journey, while he was in Jerusalem, continuing to share the gospel, that he was arrested by the Jewish leadership, his life was put under threat, Roman guards actually stepped in, intervened, and saved Paul's life. They rescued him and brought him before Felix, the overseer of that uh, area, who passed the buck on to Festus for Paul to stand before Festus and, and declare whether he was guilty or not guilty of what the Jewish religious leaders were accusing him of. <clears throat> when Festus was going to bring him back from Caesarea to Jerusalem to stand trial in front of the Sanhedrin and Pharisees, Paul said, nope, 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 not going to happen. I appeal to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, a Jew born in Tarsus, but with a lineage that allowed him to make that claim and have it followed through, Paul was then ushered to Rome to eventually uh, stand trial there. And during this time occasioned what we call the prison epistles, one of which is this Philippians. Now, while he writes this letter, we read in that last verse that we congregationally read, is that he, he says, I will rejoice. And it, it begs the question, you know, when, why, or how, how is it that Paul can make a decision to choose to rejoice in the situation. One of the things I'm calling this message this morning, you note takers if you want a title, is making a choice to rejoice. How? How can Paul do this? As we read in verse 18, he says, uh, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. 
How? I believe we can answer that question by observing the obvious things that emerge from the passage that we're going to study. And I want to bring you all the way back now to verse 8, which is where we left off last time I was with you. Verse (coughs) 8. Paul writes, he says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. The first thing that we notice is that Paul had right affections. Right, or what we would call godly affections in relationships. I I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. There are really two ways to be in relationship with uh, someone else. Uh, A right way, a wrong way, a, a healthy way, an unhealthy way. A godly way, an ungodly way. With believers and unbelievers combined. Some examples of this would be, of course, uh, back in Daniel chapter 1 through 3, Daniel's relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar was a right relationship, a godly relationship, in that Daniel remained faithful to God in the midst of a secular system, a godless society, And you recall the record that King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And uh, he called his musicians and the soothsayers and all those, you know, in his own court forward to to interpret this dream for him. And when he asked them, he said, I want you to uh, interpret my dream, but first I want you to tell me uh, what the dream is and then interpret it. And they said, oh, king, you're so wise, you're so grand. Tell us what the dream was and we'll interpret it for you. He said, no, 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 no. Anybody can do that. But if you're really in touch with what's going on in this realm that I don't understand, tell me what I dreamed and then interpret the dream for me. And none of the soothsayers, musicians, counselors, no one could do it. You recall, and so he... he fired them all, and he heard that there was this one named Daniel who understand, understood dreams and visions. You recall how the record goes in Daniel 1 through 3, and Daniel was brought forth. And, and Daniel, in a right relationship with an unbelieving, secular, godless individual, says to King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, I don't have the wisdom to uh, tell you what your dream is, but there is a God in heaven who understands and knows. He will tell you what the dream is and he will give you the interpretation. You remember what happened. Daniel told him his dream of the the bronze, the different images and what they meant. A right relationship, a healthy relationship. Another example, of course, would be uh, Priscilla and Aquila up in Acts chapter 18. Uh, This married couple who understood the Christian faith They were tent makers along with the Apostle Paul, and they ran into this guy named Apollos who only understood certain things about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Aquila and Priscilla were told in, in Acts chapter 18, they took Apollos aside and explained to him more accurately the way of God. 
a right relationship, a healthy relationship, a godly relationship. But an example of an unhealthy or a wrong relationship, you remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira and their relationship with the apostles. Recall that in Acts chapter 5? They saw miraculous things going on. They saw the power of the Holy Spirit happening. And so they came to the apostles and laid at their feet a portion of the land that they owned, declaring that, hey, we're giving it all to God. We're giving it all to God. And it was an unhealthy, it was a deceptive, it was not a right or godly relationship. And Peter under the discernment of the Lord, came to understand, hey, when you owned it, was it not all in your hands? You brought it. You have not lied to man, but you've lied to God. I bring this up to us this morning because it's important to understand that there can be, in a Christian's life, unhealthy and ungodly relationships. A way in which you are dealing with someone that is not uh, working to the good. It's not being beneficial to you spiritually. It's not being beneficial to them spiritually. It's not being beneficial to the furtherance of the gospel. And so we see, first of all, that Paul understood the value of right affections in relationships with others. There's a second element we see here in the passage. I draw your attention to verse 9. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. We see secondly here that he had a selfless prayer for others in his life path. If you're taking note this morning, a selfless prayer for others in his life path. Notice He understood that they had love for others, but he was praying that their love would abound more and more. And that that love, as it grew, would be expressed in two ways, in knowledge and in discernment. I want to read to you an excerpt from a very classic New Testament expansion. It's by Kenneth Wiest. And if you... Uh, study the New Testament at all and you're interested in study tools, this is, of course, a good one to have. Kenneth Weiss' expansion on the New Testament says, uh, because the, the difference in the English language and the Greek language was broad, the Greek language being very colorful and in-depth, this is how the Greek would actually state verse 9. Quote, and this is the constant purport of my definite petitions, namely, that your love, divine and self-sacrificial in its nature as ministered to you by the Holy Spirit, yet more and more might overflow, but at the same time be kept within the guiding limitations of an accurate knowledge of God's Word, gained by experience and those guiding limitations of every kind of sensitive, moral, and ethical act. A lot of words. But you see, the 
the difference here is that Paul isn't praying for uh, these others in such a way that he, he wants them to bless him or that he wants to receive something from them or that he needs them to change so that his life could be different. You know, hear me for a moment. Do we sometimes pray for others in such a way where we're hoping for the benefit of it? You know, if, God, I pray you just change that person's attitude, then I could get along with him just fine. You know, something like that. Not that anyone here has ever prayed that way. But you see the depth of his selfless prayer toward others that have come across him in his life path. It is said that there are over 650 prayers in the Bible and that there are uh, 450 recorded answers to prayer. A solid tool, if you're ever looking, is uh, Lockyer's All the Prayers of the Bible. Man, if you, uh, I, I know for a lot of years that just wanting to know, you know, how can I pray, Lord? What's a good way to pray? Excuse me. A, a very exciting thing to do is find prayers in the Bible and just read them to God. Let them be your prayer to God. 650 prayers, 450 of them answered. Lockyer's All the Prayers in the Bible, an excellent tool for just reading prayer. It, it gets breathed into our spirit man. It gets breathed into our soul. And our prayer life begins to be enlarged, begins to be uh, deepened. And, you know, you think of, of prayers for others. Moses' prayer uh, in Exodus 33, he was saying to the Lord, he said, Lord, you called me to take this people, you know, out from Egypt all the way across uh, into a new land. But how will I know that it's really you calling me to do this, telling me? Exodus 33:12, the Lord answered him and said, my presence shall go before you. Daniel's prayer of confession, Daniel chapter 9. Remember when uh, he opened the windows of the place in which he was standing? And three times a day he would look toward Jerusalem and he would pray for the people. And in his prayer, he would say, we have sinned, O God. We have not obeyed your commandments. O God, deliver us. And it wasn't, you know, uh, it's them and me, Lord, deal with them. He included himself. And very uh, significant. David's prayer in, in Psalm 27, the, the prayer of a believing heart. All of who David was, he said, one thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold your beauty, O God, it says, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, to change that, to inquire in your temple, O God. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me, and he shall set me upon a rock. Oh, that selfless prayer for others. We think of Jesus' prayer in the garden. 
As we prepare to take communion today, what did he say? Lord, if there's any other way, if there's a way that this cup may pass from me, if it be possible, he said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will, thy will be done. Right affections, selfless prayer for others, A third thing emerges from the passage to me, and I trust you this morning. Notice with me verse 10. He goes on to say that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The third thing we see here is is Paul was willing to give a concise challenge for each of the believers in that church. A concise challenge to each of them. Uh, The phrase proving the things that are excellent, the word in its origin actually means to try or to test. And it has to do with the same uh, events that would take place when metals were tested to see their strength. And so employing that uh, word picture and that fact, what Paul is saying is that he, he wants them, knowing they're saved, knowing they love the Lord and they love God's people, knowing that they've expressed it through their offering to the church in Jerusalem, that he wants them to continue to grow. But, but what I also desire of you, Paul is saying, is that you would test Test the things that are right and wrong, that are good and evil. Test them as metal is tested. Don't just accept them. Isaiah 50 tells the prophet said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Beloved, are we not living in a day and an age when right is being called wrong, wrong is being called right, good is being called evil, and evil is being called good? You and I, biblical Christians, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, are to be able to discern what is good, what is evil, what is right, and what is wrong. It's a biblical responsibility that we have innately by the fact that we said, God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I know that I am a sinner. Will you come into my life today? Forgive me of my sin and grant me grace that I may know eternal life and walk with you all the days that I live. The Bible says the moment that takes place, you are born again. Those of you at home who are watching at home, God bless you. So glad you tuned in. I was talking with someone earlier this morning who said that for almost a year, he had been watching faithfully at home. Maybe you're at home and you've never prayed that prayer or that concept of full commitment is new to you or to us in this room. The moment you said yes to Christ, God says, okay, I heard that. You're mine. I have a plan for your life, and I also am calling you, as we sang this morning, to a deeper place. To be able to discern 
good from evil, right from wrong. To be sincere and without offense, he said, uh, an employing of another Greek term, without wax. They used to use wax on the statues to fix anything that was marred or broken. And so you could tell if something wasn't genuine if it had wax on it. And Paul is saying to these Christian believers in the city of Philippi, I want you to be sincere. Don't just be superficial. And as a result of that sincerity, to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Do you see it there? We read it in in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How does Paul see this church body um, being more filled, more greatly filled with fruits of righteousness? The answer, of course, was given to us by the Lord himself in John 15 as it relates to fruit in the Christian's life. How does fruit uh, get born on a tree? It gets born there by the uh, flower then turning into a fruit. And the fruit, what, what's it do? It just stays connected to the vine. Did I share with you the, the funny story about our orange tree? We had an orange tree that we moved into our home and I own four years ago. And uh, we were excited, excited. Hey, we got an orange tree. We, we're not gardeners, so it was exciting to have an orange tree. There's an orange tree and a tangerine tree. And so uh, we moved in in July, and our memory immediately went back to years ago when we were in Costa Mesa sitting under Pastor Chuck. We lived with this precious lady, uh, Pat, Patricia. And in Pat's backyard in Costa Mesa, she had an orange tree. And Patricia, when we moved in, we saw the orange tree, and she said, well, you know, yes, it's an orange tree, but you can't pick the fruit until the day after Christmas. I said, why? Well, that's when it's ripest. So we submissively said, okay. So July to December, and got to December, Christmas, the day after Christmas, we went out and picked an orange off the tree, and sure enough, it was juicy and delicious. It was like, oh, wow. Fast forward four years ago, orange tree. Oh, July. Well, we better wait till December. So we wait till December and wait till the day after Christmas, thinking we're going to have the same experience. And we go and pick this orange off a tree, peel it off, first, you know, wedge in the mouth, bitter, oh my goodness, bitter, horrible. And we thought, well, that's no good. So, okay, maybe something's wrong. We wait till the next year. We thought maybe we need to put some fertilizer at the bottom of the ground, put some, you know, stakes that put nutrients into the ground. So we wait a whole nother year. We try it again, pick the orange second year, peel it, bitter, horrible. Third year, we decided I'm not picking any oranges. The tree's no good. Something's wrong with this tree. And sure enough, this last uh, late winter, early spring, before our mom passed away, my son David comes out from Ohio. We're, We're in the backyard just 
chatting, and it's like, well, when, when would this have been? It was only a month ago, right, Rick? Two months. And uh, David goes over to the tree, and he takes an orange. He goes, Dad, you got an orange tree back here. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's no good. You won't like the orange. He picks the orange off the tree here, and here it is like March. And he peels it, and he starts by, he goes, oh, 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 Dad, have you tried? This is the best orange I've ever had, you know. It's like, really? He said, yeah, try this. And he gave me a wedge. I'm telling you, sweet, juicy. Duh. Evidently, there are two seasons. I don't know, David might know better, but this orange tree comes fruition in March. That's when it's best. And how does that orange get so juicy, so full of juice, so sweet to the taste, doing what it's supposed to do? Just stays right there. Best illustration I can give you this morning, abide in the vine. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, crossways, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. How's the abiding going? I think the current vernacular, although I'm probably outdated, would be hang out. Let's hang out, right? How's the hanging out with Jesus going? You see... This is what Paul is referring to as he writes this passionate letter to Christians in Philippi. Hey, I want you to just overflow with the fruits of righteousness, which are by, they come from, Jesus Christ to inevitably give glory and praise to God the Father. How's your hanging out going this morning, beloved? This is one of the ways Paul could give a concise challenge to these precious Christians in Philippi to test those things that are good and evil, to be sincere and filled with the fruits of righteousness, to have selfless prayers for others, to have right and godly affections. Fourthly this morning, leading us on to verse 12, we see that he had a heavenly approach to altered and difficult circumstances. Read with me, verse 12, it says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it became evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Four words I want you to pay close attention to. 
Actually, gospel, guard, and bold. Actually, gospel, guard, and bold. Why? Well, again, here's something that emerges to us from the passage why Paul could make a choice to rejoice was he had a heavenly approach to altered or difficult circumstances. Paraphrase. Hey, Christian brethren down in Philippi, yes, I'm in prison in Rome, but I want you to know that this has actually worked out. Actually. The reality of my sitting here writing you, let you this letter. is for the furtherance of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. If someone gave you a letter that's told you you are now uh, uh, chosen by the state of California and by the President of the United States for your extremely good character and citizenship in the county of Calaveras, you have been chosen to represent me uh, and our country. I'm giving honor to the office, all. You've been chosen to represent our country to uh, this neighbor and this business. And I want you to take this letter and, and go and be my representative. You take that letter. Good news. We, some of us would, you know shy back at such a, a letter given to us. But if a letter was given to you that, that represented great things to you, wouldn't you want to share that with others? Well, guess what? The gospel of Jesus Christ is that letter that has been given to you and I, and that we also have the great opportunity to share with others. Our lives, beloved, truly is to be about the gospel. Our lives should be emulating the gospel. Our lives should be filled with the message of the gospel flowing from our lips, flowing from our activity so that whatever the situation, circumstance, or altered or difficult change that happens, the gospel is still paramount in our minds. Why? Because... God saved us, did something, and has done something, and is doing something. Guess what? An unplanned impact on others around him. He said that the whole palace guard was being affected by his presence there. Paul was actually given favor to some of Nero's assistants. An unplanned impact on others. You know, if you are in the middle of a hardship right now, and many of us have been for an entire year as we continue to wait for life to return back to normal here in the state of California. I shared this a couple weeks ago. I think the governor is planning to reopen California June 15th or something and you know, take away all the tier system and everything. And, and one of the things we're going to be doing here uh, by the first of the year is we're going to keep our mask section open for those who desire that. We're going to put chairs back into a normal situation. We're going to go back to some of the things that are normal. But knowing that we've all been in great hardships, both 
uh, emotionally, relationally. Some of you with your own businesses have, have seen uh, dire hardships. Do we not understand that God wants us to see this has actually worked out for the furtherance of the gospel? There are people that have been coming to the Lord that would have never come to the Lord unless this thing had happened. We're seeing people that have come from denominational backgrounds whose churches are still closed. Do you know that there, there are a lot of churches still closed across, across our country? Churches are closed. There are people that are coming from denominational backgrounds whose churches are closed that have gone to Protestant or evangelical churches that have said, nope, we're essential, we're opening, we're preaching the gospel, who've gotten saved, who are now walking in the kingdom of heaven. God desired that this work out actually for the furtherance of the gospel. That the whole palace guard was in fact, uh, in fact affected an unplanned impact on others. And notice the last phrase. And the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Uh, an unplanned change in believers. Uh, someone shared this with me recently. I think it's really true. Uh, it, you're a believer this morning, you're a Christian, there's really um, two ways to look at what we're going through, what we've gone through this last year as it relates to the church and the kingdom of God. Two ways. Uh, either you're anxious and fearful, which may indicate either you don't really know the Lord or you, you've you've become distant from the Lord and his word and his promise, or you're excited and hopeful that these are the very marks that lead us to the end times. This is, this is, we are living in an exciting time right now, folks. This is like, my goodness, if you could turn the page and write the script, these are the steps that are taking forward to bring this global thing to a time in which Christ comes back and takes us home. Woo! I'm ready. You ready? Let's go. Okay, wait a minute. He saved you. There's somebody else he wants to get. And so, a heavenly approach to altered or difficult circumstances. Just remember this, beloved. What is your altered and difficult circumstance today? Quickly, oh boy. Two more. Uh, an observation of right and wrong motives from Christian preachers. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Paul was willing, he was able to recognize that uh, teachers and preachers are human instruments in God's hands. And God can use them for good even if their motives are bad. 
He was willing to put it out there on the table. I'm not talking about doctrinally wrong things, but men who are preaching the gospel that had incorrect motives. Paul was willing to recognize that that's true and happens. And lastly, this morning, the sixth thing that emerges from the passage of why Paul could make a choice to rejoice is that he had an unwavering, listen, take note, he had an unwavering trust in the promises of God's word. Being a Pharisee, a Jew, he knew the Old Testament backwards and forward. Many that he taught reaching out to the Gentiles did not. But he could, in his mind, go back to the prophet Isaiah's promise, the word of God, Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, especially verse 11. Isaiah said, speaking for God, he said, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Do you have a trust in God's word this morning? Because the word of God is going out. And so I want to close with six questions, and then we will uh, ask God to make these things true in our lives as we partake communion. Number one, do you have right affections? in your heart today, in your relationship with others? Are they godly? Number two, are you praying selflessly for others that have been brought in your life path or do you just want them removed so that it'll be better for you or you want them to change so it's better for you or something? Are you praying selflessly? Number three, will you give concise challenges to those who profess Christ? Asking them, to be sincere. Number four, will you keep a heavenly approach to altered and difficult circumstances? It's a reminder this morning. Impossible to do in our own strength, but what did Jesus say? He said, abide in me and I in you, for without me you can do nothing. The antithesis to that is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Number five, are you willing to observe the fact that there are right and wrong Christian preachers? I never ask you to just take my word for what I say each morning. You should be Bereans. You should go home and check it out yourself. I am not above making error. I study to show myself rightly approved. But you are to test and try these things. And lastly, will you keep an unwavering trust in God's promise? regarding his word. He says, it will accomplish the thing I send it out to do. Well, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this passionate letter that your servant Paul has written. As we prepare our own hearts, Lord, to remember your great sacrifice for us, we confess that none of this is possible unless you abide in us. And we request that if in any place that you have brought to our awareness this morning, there's a need for us to be more surrendered, greatly yielded, you make that clear and you would find us willing. For Lord, we look at you, 
our ultimate example. As you said in, in John's Gospel, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. So Lord, we take this communion this morning, remembering all of this and asking you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.